listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. If you have your Bible, and if you haven't shared yet, please do me a favor and share. But if you've got your Bible, I want to show you something. Um, And uh, I have no apologies to any of the feminists watching who were mad that I didn't put and queen. The title is The Hidden King. Not the hidden queen and king. Uh, that's, you know why, by the way? It's because every woman in the body of Christ is a king. Every woman in the body of Christ is a priest, according to scripture. And we'll get there in a moment. And I'll show you that from the uh, Bible. Every woman and every man is a king and a priest unto God. And so... Uh, I'm not putting queen. It's not, the Bible doesn't call you a queen, calls you a king. Uh, sons of God. Every woman's a son of God. I love what Brother Shambach used to say. He said, don't get bent out of shape, ladies, because the Bible calls you a, a son of God. He said, in the same way that you're a son of God, I have to be the bride of Christ as a man. He said, I'm not even going to get a sex change. And so uh, the Bible says that in the, in the kingdom, in the spirit realm, There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. Understand that. So every woman is a king and a priest and every man, the bride of Christ, that we're all one in the kingdom of God. Hey, Pastor Sharon. So if you have your Bible, I want you to first turn to the book of Revelation chapter one, and I'm going to read you that verse of scripture. And then I'm going to take you to two more things. And then I'm going to teach you on this, the hidden king. See, the devil would love to keep you hidden. God brings you out into, out of obscurity, into a place where he can show his glory on your life and use you mightily. I want you to see this now. Um, I'm in Revelation chapter one. And listen to this. The Bible says grace, I'm going to start in verse four and read through verse six. I I might even read through verse eight. We'll see. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Now look at verse six. And made us a kingdom of priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'll stop there. He's made us kings and priests or a kingdom of priests. That's who we are. He set us apart. He set us apart. Now flip back with me to first Peter uh, and we'll look at chapter two. First Peter two, nine now. So we're Kings and we're priests. And I want to show you this because it is extremely important as we set the foundation for today's teaching. First Peter two, nine, the Bible says this, but you are a chosen race, a Royal 
priesthood. There it is again. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Chosen. That's it. Hallelujah. And so those of you that are watching, I want to start with this confession today. Put it in the comments. I'm a chosen king and priest. I'm a chosen king and priest. This is very important that you get this into your spirit. I am a chosen king and priest. Love you too, Beverly. So important because look at this in the old Testament, there was only, um, one tribe of Israel that were set as priests over the rest of the other 11 tribes, the tribe of Levi. That's it. And they were the Levitical priesthood. But the Bible teaches us in Hebrews that the priesthood has changed. Why is that? Because our high priest didn't come out of the tribe of Levi. Isn't that interesting? Our high priest, Jesus, came out of what tribe? The victory tribe, Judah. Judah. This is powerful if you catch this. Jesus didn't come from Levi. He came from Judah, the line of David. From the lineage of David. And so the Bible says in Hebrews, the priesthood has changed. And so now King Jesus is our high priest. Amen. So all of us who have come out of him are now priests in a new tribe. We're priests in a new tribe. That's powerful, man. Because see, the priests represented all of the nation to the Lord. And so now they had the authority. They had the authority as priests. You had to go see the high priest. He could declare you clean or unclean, right? What did Jesus say to the lepers after he cleansed them? He said, now, see, because he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And so he wasn't trying to rebel against it, but he said, now that He said, now that I've cleansed you, let's do it the way my father set up. Go show yourself to the priest. Well, why did those lepers have to go show themselves to the priest? Because the law of Moses said it was the priest who could declare you clean or unclean. And if the priest examined you and called you unclean, you had to be separated. Oh man, this thing will preach. This thing will preach. I'm telling you, this, this is like, this is a victory message, if you'll catch it. And I know you'll see the revelation on this. If you showed yourself, and, he, and the priest examined you and saw that you were unclean, he didn't just declare you unclean, he would then separate you from the assembly. And that's what the story was with these lepers, is that they, the reason I say that they risked their lives to see if Jesus would heal them is because the law of Moses said that 
Once you've been sent into quarantine or you lived in a leper colony, if you came back into society, according to the law of Moses, you were to be stoned to death. That's because of the danger of leprosy and how uh, contagious it was. And so they risked their lives to leave the other lepers and come into the presence of Jesus to see if he'd heal them. And so what did they do? They would send you out or they would uh, separate you from the assembly. You weren't just called unclean. Hallelujah. You were separated, taken away from your family, your children, your work, whatever you had, you were separated out and sent away, exiled, if you will. That's why the other day when we were teaching um, on the woman who had the issue of blood, right? With the woman, Mark 5, the woman who had the issue of blood, she had a severe problem. I mean, we're going through the Bible in 90 days. We've already come through Leviticus. But when we were in Leviticus, there's portions, you'll see all those instructions on what was to be done with people who had certain things happening in their life. Women on their menstrual cycle were considered unclean until it was over. And they had to separate themselves. Anything they touched was unclean. Anything they sat on, laid on was unclean. And so, and then the the Bible says in Leviticus, any bodily excretions made you of, it says of bodily fluids made you unclean and you had to be unclean until the evening. So if you had sex, anything like that, according to scripture, you were uh, called unclean until the evening. But what's, what about the woman with the issue of blood though? Because the Bible says that for years, She was hemorrhaging blood. She had a blood leaving her body. That's a bodily fluid. You know what that means? For all those years, she was unclean. Had to be according to the law of Moses because it said any bodily excretion. Well, if it it was true for women on their menstrual cycle, then guess what? It was true for this woman because she had a, a, a problem. The issue of blood was hemorrhaging blood and she was in a weakened condition. You know what was so powerful about her miracle? God didn't just heal her body through Christ, but he restored her life in the community, brought her back into society, brought her back around her family. I mean, all of these things you think about, according to the law of Moses, that's what would have had to happen. He didn't just heal her. He made her clean again. She touched the high priest who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Hallelujah. And so I want you to see this now. The, the priesthood changed and now it's not the Levitical priesthood. It's the Judaic priesthood. We're under the tribe of Judah. Christ came from the tribe of Judah. And our Bible still tells us he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He came through David's line. And the Bible tells us that when they list, the Bible lists his lineage in the book of Matthew, you can read it, lists his lineage. I dealt with it. What was it this week? on even a prostitute was redeemed and put into that lineage. Rahab, the prostitute. And so it's supernatural, but the tribe, he came through the tribe of Judah and David was in the tribe of Judah. So understand this, you become here. I'm still in first Peter two, nine, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Holy means set apart from everybody else. That's literally what it means to be set apart from everybody else, a people for his own possession 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are kings and priests. Under that tribe of Judah, the victory tribe, because the priesthood has changed tribes. Hallelujah. Hey, Gary. And so now I want you to go back with me to uh, 1 Samuel 16. And this is where I wanted to go today. 1 Samuel 16. See, every one of you. You know why we talked about this yesterday? You know why your mindset is so important? We dealt with this yesterday in the morning. Why your mindset is so important? Because if you don't see, it doesn't matter if God sees these things about you. If you don't see these things about you, you won't act like these things are true. Amen. That is important, by the way. That's crucial. <laughs> it's essential. <laughs> the reason I say that, and I'm laughing, is because apparently I write and say important a lot. And Grammarly's like, you've said important 17 times in this document. Maybe say crucial. Maybe say essential. <laughs> so I'm changing it up. That is crucial. That is essential. Take that, Grammarly. And so it is. Because what, for example, if you think of yourself as nothing, you'll let people talk to you like you're nothing. You'll let people treat you like you're nothing. Seriously. You know that's true. People that have come up in that environment and they've been made to believe that that's who they are. Oh, you're an idiot. You never do anything right. You're stupid. You're a fool. All those different things. <clears throat> and and if, if that's who you are made to believe that that's who you are, you'll live that lifestyle. You'll let people talk to you like a nothing. You'll let people treat you like a nothing. And that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. So your mindset about who Christ has made you to be. See, if I could show you one thing and get it into everybody's spirit as a Christian, you know what it would be? Who they are in Christ. Who they are in Christ. I was looking at Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. He was answering people online as they were asking him question, questions. And somebody asked him, What's, what are just a couple of things that you would um, really get the importance of those things into a new believer? What would you really drive home to a new believer? And his answers were, knowing who they are in Christ and the power of prayer. Knowing who they are in Christ and the power of prayer. Well, of course, that is so huge. If you can know who you are in Christ, identification with Christ, it changes everything. Everything. Because you no, look, you no longer look at yourself as the old man, but now as you identify with Christ, you begin to say, as he is, so are we in this world. As he is currently in victory, so are we in this world. As he is currently seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities and powers and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. Put everything under his feet. Made him head to be over the body, which is his, the church, which is his body. So when you get that mindset, 
Like I'm not suffering. I'm not a victim. I'm literally seated in heavenly places. I've got authority. I've got power. I'm not a nobody. I'm a king. I'm a priest. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation set apart, right? When you start thinking like that, talking like that, realizing that, then I'll tell you something. You won't let the devil push you around like you're nobody. You won't let people talk to you like you're a nobody. You won't be treated like you're a nobody. You have an expectation of victory. Glory to God. That's it, Pastor Bill Motley. Position equals power. That's right. And you're not in the position of a lowly victim. You're in the position of seated in heavenly places, far above all. Glory to God. Far above all. All that's it, Johnny, the head, not the tail above, not beneath. Hallelujah. And that's it. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And there's a hidden King, but here's the thing. The devil wants to keep the King hidden, wants to keep the priest hidden, wants you to be in obscurity for the rest of your life so that you never take your position as a victor, as an overcomer, as more than a conqueror, he wants to keep you in a place of obscurity where nobody knows who you are and you don't know who you are and you don't go accomplish what God's called you to do. Doesn't want you to do it. And that's what, even this, if you look and here's a picture of it, that's why I had you turn to first Samuel 16. Um, I'm going to start reading with verse number one. And I want you to see this. This will blow your mind. And the Lord said to Samuel, who was the prophet, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'll send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a king among his sons. Notice that uh, God didn't tell Samuel which son. Did you ever notice that? He didn't say it right then. He said, among his sons, I've provided myself a king. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I'll show you what you shall do. And you'll anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city... came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked upon Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He looked at Eliab and looked at his appearance. See, looked at his outward appearance, judged him based on the natural realm. Mistake. It's a mistake. Look how the Lord rebuked him for. He said, Lord said to Samuel, verse seven, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. I've rejected him for the Lord sees not as man sees for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's a key right there. People judge on the outward appearance, but God judges on the heart. Amen. Now, 
That doesn't mean you just let go of your outward appearance. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do want you to see this. We do everything we can in one sense to, um, appeal to men. As Paul said, we become all things to all men. And so, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, well, I'm going to dress like John the Baptist in the wilderness, you know, and just, I'm going to, I don't care what I look like when I go to <clears throat> speak on behalf of the Lord. No, I care what I look like because I'm representing the Lord. So, well, it doesn't matter what you wear. God looks on the heart. Yeah, it doesn't matter to God, but it matters to people. In fact, it so matters to people that psychologists have determined there are things you can wear. I don't know if you know this or not. Psychologists have done studies and have determined there are things you can wear that automatically make people think, oh, he's the leader. She's the leader. They're in charge. Did you know that? Why do you think for, here's a question. Why do you think that you never ever see a president in anything other than a dark suit, navy or charcoal, with a white or light blue shirt and a red or blue tie. You go back and look. It's always some form of that outfit. Dark suit, navy or charcoal, white shirt or light blue shirt, and a red or a blue tie. You go watch. You'll see it. It's what you, you know why you see that? Because p- psychologists have determined when people see that outfit, they automatically think to themselves, that's, that person's in charge. That person's the leader. I don't know why. It's something in the mind. But notice, man looks on the outward. Did you know that? Man looks on the outward. Now, You could wear, as a preacher, as a Christian, you could go wear a dark suit, white shirt, red or blue tie. But if you're not anointed, you're not anointed. (laughs) I don't care what you wear. If you're not anointed, you're not anointed. If God's not with you, God's not with you. And what you wear is going to make no difference whatsoever. But understand, people will receive from you differently. I want to make that point because I don't think people understand this. I don't think people understand this. I don't ever want to dress in such a way that people look and say, who is this nut job? You know, I go into a church. The reason I'm not super casual in church is because first of all, there's tons of people who don't know who I am. And I'm going to stand, I'll give you a story that really has always stuck with me. Brother Hagin told a story when I was at Ramah and, um, he said there was a time, there was a South African man and uh, his name was, I'll get it in a second. It'll come to me. But anyway, Smith Wigglesworth was staying in his house, Brother Duplessis, Brother Duplessis. And uh, Brother Smith Wigglesworth was staying in Brother Duplessis' house. And um, in the middle of the night, there was a, a knock on Brother Duplessis' bedroom door at like 3 a.m. And the knock on the door, and then the door opened, and Brother Wigglesworth walked in to it. He's sleeping with his wife in the bed. You know, Brother Duplessis and his wife sleeping. And Brother Wigglesworth walks into his room, and he's got on a three-piece suit, tie, 
shoes shined, Bible under his arm, walks into his room at 3 a.m. fully dressed, and then begins to deliver a prophetic word to Brother Duplessis while he's in his bed. Finishes the prophetic word, leaves the room and closes the door. Hours later, maybe 9 a.m., 8.30, something like that, they're downstairs, Brother Duplessis and his wife in the kitchen getting breakfast ready, and in walks Brother Wigglesworth from the morning. Comes in and sits down at the table, and he just has on dress pants and a dress shirt, collar undone. And Brother Duplessis said, well, Brother, Brother Wigglesworth, I saw you at 3 a.m. You had on a three-piece suit and a tie and your dress shoes. And he said, yes, but he said, then I was on a mission for the master. That was his answer. He said, I was on a mission for the master then. As to, as to say, I'm just coming in for breakfast now. <laughs> but notice how he thought about that. Notice what he thought. I'm going to do something for the Lord. I'm representing the Lord. How would I represent the Lord? How would I represent the Lord? Amen. And so I'm just telling you, people look on the outward appearance. Do you know people can literally write you off before you ever start speaking? Before you ever talk to them, they can write you off. They can close their hearts to you and I learned from a young age, you, that's exactly right, Tyra, dress appropriately for your office. I realize like today I'm dressed like a used car salesman, but that's because every one of you knows me already. But, <laughs> but other than that, when I go into a church, one of the things that I, and I've thought this way since I was younger too, is like, even when I was in my twenties, 20 years old and starting out in the ministry, I realized, you know, my age is already working against me in one sense. What do I mean by that? People look at you and think, what does this 20-year-old guy know that he's going to say to me to help me spiritually in my life or help my family? Your age is already working against you. That's why Paul had to literally tell Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. Why? Because Paul knew that you're young, Timothy, and there's going to be people in the church that are going to try to despise your youth or look down on you because you're young. And he said, don't let it happen. And don't forget, the reason you're anointed is because you've got impartation, not because you're old. That's what Paul reminded him. He said, don't forget about the gift that came into you through the laying on of my hands. Stir up that gift. Fan it into flames, one translation says. And don't let anybody despise your youth. So, youth can work against you. And I understood that from a young age. I said, I'm not going to compound the issue of my youth by coming in there looking like some, you know, I don't even know what word to use. I can't even tell you at this point. It's one thing to be young. It's another thing to be young minded. Hmm. Let me say that again. Thank you, Todd. Or I think that's Janine. It's one thing to be young. It's another thing to be young-minded. I want you to put that in the comment section. It's one thing to be young. It's another thing to be young-minded. That's right, Rose. You can be young and full of godly wisdom, revelation, knowledge, and understanding. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
It's one thing to be young. It's another thing to be young-minded. And I've met people that are 40 years old, 50 years old, that still have a thought process like they're 20, like they're 19. They never grew up in their mind. They're still, have you ever met people like that? Those of you that are watching, have you ever gone back and and met somebody from your high school or something? And like, they're literally 40 and they're still wearing their letterman's jacket. (laughs) It's like, man, those were the days, weren't they? We had some fun in high school. It's like, they're still there mentally. They've never left that place. It was like their glory days. It's one thing to be young. It's another thing to be young minded. And why do, we, why do we present ourselves in a certain way? Because man looks on the outward appearance. You would, let me tell you something. You wouldn't go in to meet the president. I mean, I hope you wouldn't. Looking like a fool. You wouldn't meet a king looking like a fool. No. I mean, what, what do we say? It's like, so, it makes me laugh because I use this analogy because there's this thought process, you know, in our generation that if pastors don't become more relevant and dress more relevant, people aren't going to receive from them. That's foolishness, straight up foolishness. And I'll prove it to you by natural things. You ready? Stupid to think that way. And then you got young people in the church trying to pressure their pastors the pastors are like 55, 60 years old, and they're like pressuring their pastors to wear skinny jeans. You're 60. You're 60. You don't need to wear skinny jeans. You don't, you don't need to wear, ri- I mean, I don't care the cut of your jeans. You don't need to come in like ripped jeans and a long tee. You don't have to be a hipster to be anointed. Amen. And there's like young people like pressuring their pastor. We'd have more people if you'd dress... No, no, don't think that way. Don't think that way. Don't try to become something you're not in order to appeal to people. And, and here's the thing, I can prove it to you. People say, well, if our pastor, and, and you know what's funny about it is like many of the pastors I've seen that try it, it's like, uh, we're, we're, we try to be, and all they do is they still got their dress pants on They've still got their dress shirt on and they just don't wear a tie and they roll up their sleeves. (laughs) We're we're more relevant in this church. I don't wear the jacket and the tie anymore. I took those off and I unbutton the shirt and I roll up the sleeves of the dress shirt. (laughs) You look like a politician that's out of work speaking to a workers union is what you look like when you dress like that. It's not more relevant. You just look disheveled. You just look disheveled. And I'll prove it to you. You think about the two things that are probably, you know, the most relevant that people watch all the time. Look at late night, look at late night television. You think Jimmy Fallon is not reaching young people? Do you honestly think Jimmy Fallon's not reaching young? Do you think nobody watches his show? And Jimmy Fallon's on the late show. What do you think he's wearing? Skinny, ripped skinny jeans and a, tea, a long tee? He's in a shirt and tie. What do you think? No young people watch Sports Center? Do you think all young people have turned Sports Center off because the men on Sports Center wear suits and ties? Well, I'd really, I would really love to watch the sports highlights and I'd really, I'd really love to watch top 10 or 
I just can't get with this sports center crowd because all they do is wear suits and ties. It's like, dude, seriously, you honestly think that that's the thing is that if I could just get more relevant looking, if I could just get more, it's about the anointing. It's not about, and I'm not condemning people that dress casually. I'm not doing that either. I'm just giving you the point where as I come in as a guest, you know, it's funny. And I don't know what it is. I'll come as a guest and the pastors will be like, I know brother Ted, you wear suits and stuff, but we're, we're very casual here. I'm just going to get, I'm just going to start saying, that's awesome. I'm very formal. <laughs> I, mean, what else say? I don't understand the pressure on it. It doesn't make you more anointed or less anointed. It's just a representation of who you are. That's all it is. And, and as brother Wigglesworth said, I was on a mission from the master. I was doing something the Lord asked me to do. Doesn't make you more anointed to wear a suit and tie. But man does look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Your heart can be totally right. If you're anointed, you can be anointed in jeans and a t-shirt. I've seen the sick healed as I prayed for them in jeans and a t-shirt. I've seen many young people come to the altar at a youth conference and I'm preaching in Jordan's jeans and a t-shirt. It's the anointing that matters. It's the anointing that matters. And that's what happened here. It was the anointing on David. But, he, but, but Samuel looked at Eliam and said, this has to be the one. Look how amazing he looks. He's strong. He's tall. He's hand. Nope. The Lord said, no, I've rejected him. I don't see as you see. Man looks on the outward. The Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Shama passed by. Nope, not this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Look at this. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Are all your sons here? Well, uh, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And now think about how crazy this is. And I've said it before, but I want to say it again. Does it not blow your mind that apparently Jesse didn't believe in David? Doesn't that strike you as odd that he knows Samuel has come to my house to choose the next king of Israel. I'm only going to pass my oldest seven sons in front of the prophet. Even though I have another son, it's not that I'm not going to pass him in front of him. He said, I won't even bring him into the house. Does that not blow your mind that the one God put his hand on is the one that the father wouldn't even bring in the house? That's mind blowing to me. And notice that God doesn't always choose the ones that man would choose. See, here's where you have to guard yourself because you guard yourself in this way. Don't look at yourself and say, well, what, I'm such and such a person. I'm from this, whatever, whatever you might think about yourself. Don't look at yourself and say, how could God use me? What a mistake. What a mistake to look at yourself and say, how could God use me? How could God anoint me? How could God put his hand on me? That's how the devil wants you to think. Because if you think that way, you'll miss out on being used by God. You'll miss out on your purpose. You'll miss out on your calling. 
the hidden king. Notice he was hidden out in the sheepfold. He wasn't there in the house with everybody else. He was hidden. He was out there by himself. He had, now watch, he had already been in the wilderness. He'd already been worshiping the Lord. He'd been writing songs. He'd been, that was who he was. He didn't need somebody to recognize him to know or give him a title to know I've got a relationship with the Lord. In fact, his reputation had already preceded him because when King Saul called for somebody that could play the harp uh, skillfully, they said, oh, we already know somebody like that. His name is David, son of Jesse. Bring him here. See that? They didn't have to search the land for someone who could play skillfully on the harp. His reputation already went out ahead of him because he was doing that already to the Lord, the hidden king. And God sees what's in you that he put there. See, that's the important part. God's the one who put it there and he knows what's in you. And of course he knows he can use you. Don't ever look at yourself and say, how could God use me? How could God anoint me? How could God bless me? How could God increase? No, his anointings on you. That's how that's you never look at your past to be the thing that qualifies you for your future. That's something right there that'll shake your whole life. Put it in the comments. Never look at your past as the thing that qualifies you for your future. Never look at your past as the thing that qualifies you for your future. This is a massive point. I hope you're catching this. Never look at your past as the thing that qualifies you for your future. If you do that, you'll always feel unqualified. Always for the rest of your life, you'll feel unqualified. That's right. Put it in the comments. Never look at your past as the thing that qualifies you for your future. And what does the Bible call the devil? The accuser of the brethren. He is always going to bring up your past, your before Christ past, your before forgiveness past. Always. He will always try to bring it up. Why? He knows if you focus on that, it will literally, you'll disqualify yourself from the future. Never look at your past as the thing that qualifies you for your future. It doesn't. It's what's in you. It's what's in you that qualifies you for your future. Hallelujah. It's who's in you that qualifies you for your future. It is who is the Holy Ghost is on the inside of you. Notice here, even in the Old Testament with David, God had already chosen David. That's how Samuel could know. It's not him. 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 Where don't you have anybody else? How could he have known unless the choosing already happened? It's not that Samuel was going there. This is a huge point. It's not that Samuel was going to Jesse's house to choose a king. 
He was going there to anoint the king. (laughs) Oh, do you see this? The prophet wasn't going there to choose a king. He was going there to anoint the king. David, here's the thing. David was already the king. This will make you shout right here. I want to go back to verse one so that you can see what I'm talking about. Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him? When God is speaking to Samuel, he has already done the rejecting of Saul. It's done. He's already rejected. He's already, the anointing has left him. It's left him. And then look what he says. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Did he say I'm going to provide for myself a king among his sons? Or I have provided for myself a king. It's past tense. Listen to me. Before the prophet left, Saul had been rejected and David had been anointed and chosen. You see that? One rejected, one chosen. It was done in God's mind. But as an outward appearance for everybody else watching, the anointing process was for David. What do you think? David wasn't anointed before He had God's power on his life, had God's anointing on his life. It was an hour. It was a procedure of the anointing that even his brothers could see. Oh, hallelujah. Even his father could see, hey, this one you left out in the field, watch now. And I love this. Look at this now. (laughs) Verse uh, 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down till he comes here. You don't sit until the king comes into the room. And he sent and brought him in. He was a ruddy and beautiful eyes, was handsome. The Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. See, it was already him. Now look at verse 13. This is what I want you to see. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. I love this. In the midst of his brothers. You know what that means? Though his dad didn't believe in him, though his brothers may not have believed in him, the Lord put him right in the middle of everybody who did not believe it could be him and anointed him there. See, when the power of God comes upon you, God will use you in such a spectacular way that people will even say, her, him, God's using her, God's using him. Yes, yes. And it'll be proof. They couldn't have promoted you or chosen you. Nobody else could have set you in place, but God's anointing that's upon your life sets you in place, puts you in position to be used in these last days as a chosen priesthood, a royal nation. See that? A royal priesthood, I should say, a chosen people. Holy, set apart. 
a king and a priest. God's not one. He don't want to keep you hidden. He wants to reveal you to the world in glory and in power. And here's something interesting now. If you wait and wait and wait because you think you're unqualified, you'll miss it. You'll miss your opportunity. You have to step out in boldness knowing this is who God made me to be. I'm not unqualified. Don't look. Here's the deal. When you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things, all old things, by the way, are passed away. And behold, all things have become new. So that means God's letting you know here through the apostle Paul, stop looking at what you used to be and now look at who you are in me, the righteousness of God in Christ. In fact, that would be a good place to finish this teaching. If you go to second Corinthians five, I want to just point a couple of things out from that passage. And I want you to underline them in your Bible. I want you to, um, Make notes on this and see it. And I read that verse 17 or quoted it from my spirit. But I want you to go down with me and see verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, look at this. For our sake... God, and I'm going to use, instead of the pronouns, I'm going to, for context for you guys, I'll put the names in. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. I'm going to read that again. For our sake. God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That, my friend, is who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. (laughs) You're the righteousness of God in Christ. And not because of anything you've done. The Bible says it's not by works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing you can brag about when it comes to your righteousness. That's what makes it powerful and uniform. That's what makes it uniform across the body of Christ. There's no Christian that can brag about gaining their righteousness. You didn't gain it. Christ gained it for you and then gave it to you as a free gift. And it's by grace through faith. Not by works. Hallelujah. Not by works. This is what the Reformation was all about, by the way. If you go back and study the Reformation, Martin Luther, the the Protestant Reformation, what were they protesting? One of the things they were protesting was salvation through works, as the Roman Catholic Church has established in a heretical manner. That's why they separated You know, by the way, that's what's so wonderful about having your own Bible, which back then people didn't really have. They couldn't have. The priest read you the Bible. 
lot of people couldn't read. Do you know why there was such a persecution when people started translating the Bible into English? Do you know why they were killed for it? Part of it was a control thing, a manipulation thing. If we start putting the Bible in the hands of the everyday believer, they're going to see the truth and we won't be able to have our thumb on the population anymore. Why do you think Wycliffe and all these guys were killed when they began to translate the Bible into English? That's why. Because the, the Roman Catholic Church, let the priests will provide you with the Word of God. And people couldn't read. Did you know? Many people don't even know this. The Bible is responsible. It's one of the main books that's responsible in English for people learning to read, for literacy. The Holy Bible. It's one of the main books that's responsible for literacy, growing, growing in percentage through the population. And when people got their own Bible, and then, you, of course, you have the Protestant Reformation. And what they were protesting was salvation by works. You can't do any works to gain your salvation. I don't care how many Hail Marys and Our Fathers, and I don't care how much penance you do, and I don't care how much, you know, works in the natural. None of that works. None of that brings you salvation. And the Bible teaches that. That's what, that was the whole point of the Reformation. We're separating from the Roman Catholic Church because they're preaching heresy. They're preaching heresy. They don't believe in salvation by grace through faith alone. That's why if you go back through church history, you'll learn about the five solas. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gracia, Sola Fides, all five. You go back through and read them. Well, that, why, do you, why do you think they put those out as staples? Sola Gracia. What is that? By grace alone. Sola Fides. What is that? By faith alone. Sola Scriptura. What is that? By scripture alone. Not adding works to it. It's by grace through faith. And that's who we are as believers. I don't depend on my works. I don't depend on my past. I don't depend on who I was, who I used to be. That's what the Bible says. It's by grace through faith. And Christ purchased your righteousness and gave it to you. And you became the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Became the righteousness of God in Christ. And that's who you are. That's what empowers you, who Christ made you to be. And that's why we have uniformity through the body of Christ. Nobody can boast about their righteousness. Nobody can boast about salvation because it was given to us. <laughs> Doesn't mean it didn't take faith to receive it. It did. But that faith is the same for everybody. Didn't take more faith for one person to receive it so they can boast less faith for, faith for another people. No, it's saving faith. The gospel gives that to you. Bonnie said, thank you for this. I used to be a Catholic and I never knew this stuff. I'm going to do more, I think, in the upcoming uh, months. Maybe I'll even break some of these things that people think, you know, it's, it's a little too complex and people, you know, it's, there is complexity to it. I want to break it down in simplicity for people that are watching on the Victory Tribe to understand these basic things about doctrine, you know, the five solas, what they mean, the Protestant Reformation, the power, how we got the Bible in English and what, what price was paid so that we could hold this in our hands and understand it and read it for ourselves.
This right here is one of the greatest miracles of all time. The fact that not only did God preserve his word, but it went through the whole earth and that we can hold copies of the word of God in our own language and read this on a daily basis. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It truly is. And so talking about some of that stuff, I mean, it's so interesting. So, so very interesting. And it's powerful. But before I pray for you, let me remind you of this. There is an anointing upon your life because you're a child of God. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a king. You're a priest unto God through the line of Judah. Same line as Jesus, same line as David. The line of the tribe of Judah brought us into the kingdom. Amen. And what I want you to see today is this. As David was anointed among his brothers, Christ was anointed among his brothers. Hallelujah. And we're anointed among our brothers. In this generation, it's not about, catch this, it's not about who people think you are, it's about who God said you are. Amen. God raises people up out of obscurity. And he does it because when he does that, he gets glory for what he does through people. It's supernatural. It's totally supernatural. We were blessed here to have uh, Pastor Brian Tomes with us on the broadcast yesterday, but the man's got a testimony. Who would have thought that God would have raised up a drug dealer, saved him, filled him with the Holy Ghost, sent him to Bible school, you know, learns the word, anointing comes upon his life, goes and takes the church there in Massachusetts. It explodes. You know, who would have thought that God would have raised up a Brian Tomes? God thought. That's why it happened. God did. That's why it took place. And people could have looked at him and said, you're not going to be a preacher. You're not going to be a pastor. Who do you think you are? Look at your life. Look at where you've been. Look what you've done. That's how people do it. That's exactly what people say. And that's exactly what people do. Oh, now you're going to be a pastor, are you? You spent the last 10 years dealing drugs. No, now you're going to pastor a church. Yes, because God called me. (laughs) And what do you think? God can't do it. We believe God can raise the dead, but he can't save someone, forgive their sins, and then use them in his kingdom. That's foolish. That's foolish. And so there's a perfect example, a man with a testimony that others would have probably said, you're not going to be used by God. Look at your past. Look what you've done. Look where you've been. And because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are dead. Hallelujah. Passed away. And behold, and I always say this when I get to that part, behold, all things become new. That word behold means take a look, take a look, behold, take a look. That means just go ahead and look around. All things have become new. Hallelujah. All things have become new. And I want to encourage you today because you might be watching this and we're in this time of fasting and prayer and we're, we're pressing into God and the devil keeps trying to tell you 
that God couldn't use you the way we're talking about, about that God couldn't raise you up the way that we're believing for, and that you're not qualified to have the kind of year that we're talking about. He's a liar. The devil is a liar. Don't look at your past and say, God can't bless me. Don't look at your past and say, God can't use me. Old things are passed away and behold, take a look, take a look. All things have become new. Thank you. Jesus is anybody thankful for by grace through faith (laughs) that you didn't have to earn it because you never could have. You never could have. Do you realize there's nothing we could have done to make God send Jesus to die for our sins? There's nothing we could have done on the earth to force God's hand and make him send Jesus. By the way, when we say unmerited favor, this is what we're talking about. Not somebody getting a bonus at work and it wasn't due them or anything. Nothing. nothing. When we say unmerited favor, this right here is what we mean. That there was no reason that God had to send Jesus. Nothing we did that forced him to send Jesus. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave. Hallelujah. He didn't do it because he was forced to. He did it because he loves you. That's why he did it. So we can't boast, I made God send Jesus. No, you didn't. He did it because he loves you. And then when you accepted Christ's sacrifice through faith, see, it was by grace that Christ came. It was by faith that you believed. And because you do, the Bible says now he has removed your sins from you as far as the East is from the West. That's eternally. And he has cast your sins into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. Hallelujah. That's who you are. God sees you as sinless. God sees you as his child. He sees you as the righteousness that he gave you through Christ. And so because he does, he has qualified you to be used by his glory, by his power. Now I'm not preaching on holiness Holiness is a different subject. Holiness is taking actions that align with your righteousness or your position, who you are in Christ. Holiness is what you do. Righteousness is what God did. That's the easiest way to say it. Put it in the comments. Holiness is what I do. Righteousness is what God did. Hallelujah. Holiness is what I do. Righteousness is what God did. I can't make myself righteous. And nobody was, the Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. Old Testament, your righteousness is as filthy rags. Hallelujah. Holiness is what I do. Righteousness is what God did. He gave us his righteousness through Christ. But now we take actions of holiness to align ourselves with our righteousness. Very important. And by doing so, the Bible teaches that we can keep ourselves as a vessel of gold and silver, not wooden clay that the master can use for every good work. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Every good work. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
Amen. I want to pray for you because I know there's people, even in the midst of a fast, I know there's people that the enemy does his best to try to make you feel unqualified. Maybe he's pointing at your past right now. Maybe he's trying to bring things to your remembrance right now that are old and gone and make you feel like, well, I can't have that. I can't do this. God can't work in me like this because of X, Y, or Z. I'm telling you, the devil's a liar. And today, I'm going to pray that God opens your eyes to his goodness and mercy to see who he's made you to be. That's what I've tried to endeavor to do in this broadcast today, to give you a picture of the fact that you didn't do it. Christ did it. You received it. And now it's who you are. It's who you are. So let me pray for every person that's watching me or listening on the podcast. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for your people now. Every hidden king every hidden priest that the devil would love to keep hidden. I pray right now that you would give them a revelation of who they are in Christ, of your righteousness that's been given to us through faith. We received it and now we stand in it. We thank you that old things are passed away and all things have become new. And I ask you now in Jesus' mighty name that you would use every one of us this year to do great things for the kingdom of God. Use us this year to do supernatural things by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm asking you to put a boldness in our hearts to step out like we've never stepped out before, to attempt things for the kingdom that you've called us to do. We've never even attempted before. Thank you that the resources are coming in. We thank you that the doors are opening. I pray, Lord, for every person that's struggling today. Lord, set them free, we ask you. Would you heal their bodies today? Deliver them from invisible prisons of addiction today. I pray that joy and peace would come upon them today. Depression, anxiety have to leave. Lord, for those that are struggling, even with their na- in the natural realm, I saw one a moment ago. Lord, please allow even people's cars The thing, just like you did for the children of Israel, their sandals never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. Let the cars start. Put a new car in our hands in Jesus name. Bless your children. We're asking you to bless us. Bless us. Even if the world's in the midst of crisis, we thank you that you're the provider. You are El Shaddai. You're more than enough. We receive that today. We thank you for it. We give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' wonderful name. And if you believe it, throw some hands up, throw some fire up and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to um, finish today by doing what the Lord tells us to do in sowing a seed. We're putting this, there's the information on the screen. If you'd like to sow your seed today, which I encourage you to do, go to miracleword.com and sow it there. Don't forget this. Tonight, at 9 p.m. New York City time. It's our final night session of this fast. And we're having a special prayer and communion service at 9 p.m. And we're going to print out your prayer requests. We're going to lay our hands upon them and pray for you. Listen to me. Very important. We're joining our faith together. One can put 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000. And so here's what I want you to do. On the screen, you see 
that website where I want you to send us what you're believing for. What are you believing God to do in 2021? Tell me what, tell us what, put it in that, uh, on that website, go fill out the form, send it to me. We want to print it out. We're going to lay our hands on it tonight and pray. God, let it quickly come to pass. Do you know what I'm going to pray tonight? This is what I'm going to pray that God does it before June comes to an end so that the second half of the year that you will have to come up with all new goals and vision because God will accomplish those things so quickly in your life, ministry, business, family, whatever. And so here's what I want you to do. Go to that website and send us what you're believing for. Where's your faith? The reason why, why, why are you having us do this? Why can't we just pray and ask God? He knows. Here's why. The Bible says in the book of Habakkuk chapter two, write the vision and make it plain upon tablets that they may run that read it. If you're in central, central African time in Botswana, then you are seven hours ahead of us because here it's noon, it's 12, 10 to 12 noon. So you're seven hours ahead if you're in Central African time. I'm not sure if that is Central African in Botswana. Might be beyond Central African time. So that's the difference. You're seven hours ahead. So tonight at nine, it would be what? Four in the morning where you are in Botswana. But if you're sleeping, you can catch the replay. Get those into us. Encourage you. Sow your seed and sow by faith today. Hear me. If you're believing for God to do something different for you in blessing in this year, it's going to take a different kind of seed. <clears throat> we've been sowing different kinds of seed <laughs> just in the last two months, December and January. We've been sowing different kind of seed. You know why? We want to see different kind of harvest come back to us. And God's already given us a word uh, about some things we need to do in consistent seed sowing. I told you about, and on top of our tithes, on top of our offerings, on top of all the things we're already doing to bless the poor, all of that, we're going to continue to increase and do specific and strategic, continual seed sowing through our personal lives and through our ministry. We're going up, not down. We're increasing, not decreasing. And you know what that means for us? It means we're going to have to sow more. So that's what we're doing. And we encourage you to do the same. If you're a part of this ministry, we're believing that the same blessing that's coming upon us is coming upon you. We're going to run in 2021. Sow your seed. And then here's what we're going to do. Every person standing with us in January, you know what we're doing. You get this wonderful book by Miss Gloria Copeland, God's Will is Prosperity. And uh, we're going to send that to you. Just go to miracleword.com forward slash offer. Fill out the form. If you've sown, let us know how you sowed so that we can verify it because it doesn't always give us your information. Like for example, cash app. So let us know where it's at. We can find it. We'll get it to you uh, as soon as possible. And then for every person that's sowing a thousand dollars or more on top of that, we're going to send you the life application study Bible, genuine leather, new living translation. We're hooking you up with a phenomenal Bible study resource. If you're joining us on the Bible reading plan, um, go, or if you'd like to, if you haven't yet, go to miracleword.com forward slash study, and you can get the 90 day plan for free, as well as a bunch of other videos on that page that will help you to more effectively study the word of God. Uh, it's been amazing, but start now. You're not too late to jump in. Start now and let's read the Bible together in 90 days 
Uh, it's just, it's amazing. Today is day 22 of the Bible reading plan. It's been amazing. Many people have never read the Bible all the way through, but let me encourage you. Now's the time to do it. If there was ever a time, now's the time. Thank you, Jennifer, for sowing a seed. $50. We appreciate you. Uh, don't let Jennifer sow alone. If you need to sow in the comments, hashtag donate, hashtag donate. Cash app is available. PayPal, Venmo, uh, miracleword.com is the easiest way to sow your seed. Elizabeth said so many resources on your site. I printed the pan of uh, the plan for me and the kids. Uh, it's, it's been awesome. So you got the kids plan and our plan. So your kids are doing one and you're doing one and it has been awesome. I'm enjoying myself going through the Bible, 13 chapters a day, loving it. Absolutely loving it. I actually like to put it on. People laugh at me because of how quickly I read, but, but it's just true. Like I, I like going through it, uh, that quickly I can process it, but pastor Brian came down. I was reading the Bible. It sounds like this. Chapter 13, Saul lived for one year and then became King. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3000 men of Israel. 2000 were with Saul and McMash. And the I, I read it at double speed. That's plenty. Uh, they read very slow. <laughs> but I like to listen to it while I'm reading. So I'll use the YouVersion Bible app and then I'll put on my, my translation and then hit the, I, I don't know if anybody else does that. I'll hit play and read it as the guy's reading it. I like to do that. For some reason, I, I even retain more that way. But I guess it's because you're hearing it and seeing it at the same time. I like that. I like that. However you do it, set yourself aside. I know. And, and read the Bible. And God will bless you. You'll see things you've never seen before. Imagine how the, your revelation of the word is going to another level in 2021. It's going to be supernatural. Absolutely supernatural. I love you guys. I'm trying to think if there's anything I'm missing. If not, listen, tonight, 9 p.m. New York City time. Don't miss this service. It's going to be powerful tonight. We're breaking the fast together. And believe in God for miracles. I love you so much. Thank you for hanging with me today. Thank you for sowing seeds. We appreciate the Victory Tribe. Don't forget, Sunday starts revival, two weeks. Want to see you there. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you tonight for prayer and communion, nine o'clock. Love you. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.